much love. Episode three of season three, Julie. <laughs> to remind you, you just got Morris set it. <laughs> you sure did. I got uh, you. How are you, Renee? I'm so good. 3D Doritos are back, and I am so tickled about that. How are oh, you? I am so good. I uh, yeah, it's today. We're recording on what is Family Day in Ontario, aka the day after Valentine's Day, aka the day when chocolate and candy is half off. So I'm living the dream. I'm nice. living the dream. Yeah, loving that Valentine's Day candy hangover situation. We are last, uh, last Family Day. I took my kids to the pool at like a rec center, which is like in another town, but it's unlike these back roads and. I gently, gingerly rolled a stop, um, and you you know how drivers are in Alberta. Like that should not have been a huge infraction, but it was. Um, and I got like a three hundred dollar ticket for gingerly rolling a stop in a what? back road on family. What? Day. That is yeah. a cop that was looking to fill a quota. Oh, there were a bunch of them, and they were all lined up. So anyway, I hate family day. No, yeah, no, screw that. Screw that. Screw <laughs> that. Uh, as someone who's been self-employed for 10 years, I always forget holidays like family day. And I kept trying to book a bunch of meetings for today. And people were like, nah, bitch, it's a holiday. I'm like, oh, JK. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of my sense of family day. The entire time it's existed, it never applied to me. So, but February is Black History Month. And this month we are bringing you nothing but some... Hot, sexy stories, some good, some incredibly terrible, uh, written by Black authors so far, anyways, featuring stories of Black characters as well. So not just Black writers, but Black characters. Uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about my book this week because I read a book by one of the real matriarchs of African-American romance. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm super excited to talk about it. So oh do you want to just launch right into it? Let's fucking do it. I'm excited to know who this matriarch is. Ugh. So every single list you will find online about diversity and romance, you know, romance by and about Black people, Black love, like you will find Beverly Jenkins on those lists. Oh, okay. 100%. Like she's she was the woman I found on so many lists. I'm like, okay, well... We tend to read niche stuff. It's kind of our jam. But I was like, okay, I got to read, you know, like we're going to read Danielle Steele at one point. Like you got to read the classics, the people that really, and when I say classics, Beverly is still cranking out the books. So <laughs> I'm happy to know. So she's an American author of historical and contemporary romance novels with a particular focus on 19th century African-American life. Oh, yeah, and she's a recipient of the 2017 Romance Writers of America Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award. Wow. Yeah. So she's since prolific. the public she's prolific and she's 70. So she's been oh. at it for a long time. And since the publication of Night Song in 1994, she has been leading the charge for diversity in romance. So she really is and has been one of the most strident voices for diversity in the romance genre, which again People need to know and respect that romance is the number one genre of book sold in North America and most of the Western world. So 
a lot of people read this stuff, but it does not get the respect that it deserves. And that includes mm-hmm. the authors that, that put it out. So Beverly Jenkins has a number of different books. Most of them are historical romance, which, as you know, I love a historical romance. Love historical fiction. Just like any day, all day, I will read something set back in the day. I don't know what it is. This book is called Prisoner of Love. And the cover is handcuffs in the shape of a heart. So I was like, okay. 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 (laughs) It was written in 2007. But it is set in 1884. So the book opens with a letter from William Franklin to his wife, Bess, a.k.a. Elizabeth, saying... Uh, it's dated January 17th, 1884, and he says, look, you know, I went home to visit my family after, you know, an elder died, and I inherited some money, and so I'm giving you $200, uh, which is not enough to mend your broken heart, but I need you to know that I met someone and I'm leaving you. <laughs> and so basically, here's a $200 consolation prize. Well, fast forward uh, seven months, and now Elizabeth is in the process of negotiating a marriage to Jordan Yancey, who is a prisoner. And part of his conditions to getting released is that he would, if he married somebody who was well-to-do or married somebody with good stature, then they would basically let him out on like reconnaissance is what she's told. So she doesn't know this man from Job, no idea who he is, but she agrees to marry him because then it would allow her to stay on the land and to continue to work her land. So she used the $200 that her husband gave her, her dirtbag fuckboy ex-husband, used the 200 bucks to grow a bunch of crops and like start a farm. But in order to be protected as a single woman living on a giant farm in a rural area, she needed a man's protection. And the best way to do that was to just marry one. And this was kind of a win-win situation. It helps get him out of jail. It keeps her safe. Now, She obviously has a lot of big feelings about this. She's marrying a complete stranger. You find out that William, her ex-husband, was generally a dirtbag throughout. So he was at least, I think it was 13 years, her senior. He was like the brother of the pastor in town. So she had nothing in common with him. He was very chaste and very like good religious Christian man. Now, Elizabeth is also a God-fearing woman who wants to be seen as prim and proper, cares very deeply about appearances. But Jordan Yancey, Renee, is so fine that she can't even handle it. She is like feeling lust in ways that she's never felt lust before because the only man she'd ever been with was her old shitty husband. So she has (laughs) never lusted like she's lusted for Jordan Yancey, who is ripped and like dark skin and like brooding and has like mysterious eyes. And she's just like, and it turns out she's also a looker. So the second her man left her and that got around, she had four separate proposals that she turned down. And when Jordan finds that out, he's like, okay, so yeah, you're super shy and very conservative and kind of give off this prudish vibe. But clearly there's like a stubborn, badass woman inside of you because you like refused to settle for another loser. You were like, no, I'm going to wait my time and I'm going to find somebody or I'm going to find an arrangement that's strictly practical. So he realizes, oh, I'm with a woman who might be more than she appears. Then there's a conversation about sex, and I'm going to read you a passage from that later, but what's important to know about this book is 
This book has all of the markers of it being quite chaste. So like I said, there's no pictures of anyone lusting on the cover. Um, you know, they, they just drive home time and time again how this woman is proper and prim. And But the most amount of fucking I have ever read in a romance <laughs> was this book of a hundred pages. Like it wasn't that oh, long. Wow. Wasn't that long. And it was so much sex and it was so hot and it was so like whew, steamy because the whole dynamic between the two of them is she genuinely doesn't comprehend a world in which women have female desire because she was always told that it's basically sex workers are the only people who can enjoy sex and everyone else you just do your duty like you have to do your duty do your duty well that included in her case having sex with a man who never kissed her who was Aww. never naked, never let her be naked, would literally just like lift up her skirts and have at her. And she was like, yeah, that's what it means to be with someone. And her man is like, no, nah, girl, it's about coming until you can't feel your face. <laughs> so he like is obsessed with pleasuring this woman. And there's such a like daddy vibe to it in the best way. Like oftentimes when you hear <laughs> daddy things, it's always just like this demeaning kind of like submissive thing but it's like he's like coaching her on how to be assertive in the bed in the bedroom oh, oh sweet jesus i can't even tell you like she's never heard of oral in her entire life like never heard of it this is like not a thing that people do and then he was just basically like hinting like that he was gonna do that to her and she was just like oh and then he was like i won't lick you unless you tell me to and like oh it's so much so anyways super consensual super and he basically is like awakening this like sex goddess within her but she's still like conflicted because she's like i'm supposed to be good and he's like we're never going to do anything that you don't want to do super consensual super hot super nice so obviously she starts falling for this dude because she's like he really is super considerate but in order to make the leap with them fucking like her that was not her plan like her plan was he's literally going to sleep in the barn with the animals <laughs> he, he knew that and that he was just going to be for appearances work her land and that was it but she's just She's so lusty. And I'm going to read you the paragraph where he propositions her. And it's just, whew, it's a lot. So anyways, they're having a grand old time, but there has to be some tension, right? So after the first time they actually have sex, she feels a little bit closer to him. She's like, okay, I want to know, like, why did you go to prison? Whew, and it turns out that he was a U.S. Marshal. And there was a sex worker at a cat house who was slashed across the face by a <gasps> shitty client. Oh my God. And then that shitty client wound up dead and he suspected that it was the woman who was stabbed. So he took the fall for her and said, I killed him. Oh, right. So then he went to jail. And the reason why he got out of jail is because the madam of the house was dying and was like, I can't live with a secret anymore. And she came forward and said, I actually killed the guy <gasps> for harming one of my workers. And this guy took the fall for me. So he should be. Uh, acquitted and let set free. So here he is not only taking the fall for a sex worker, but also like being really demure about it, about like, yeah, whatever, it's no big deal. Now, of course, Elizabeth is like, like snail trailing <laughs> about this man and his like extreme chivalry in the best way. Like not chivalry, like women are less than me, but like, oh, oh. So then she's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Well, of course, people in town start talking because she shacked up with a prisoner right right so the reverend comes by one of the men who tried to proposition her like one of her proposals that she turned down he comes around and they're just like well clearly she needs to be uh oh Renee, you will hate this as much as i did 
clearly you need to be institutionalized because you're no. unwell. Because you're, you know, you lived alone on this farm for a year and it clearly got to your head like some yellow wallpaper styles and uh, you then decided this was a good idea. So we're going to write to your dad who's going to see that you're unfit um, and need to be institutionalized. And she's like, excuse me? No, that's not going to happen. And they're like, we'll see. So Ugh. then she bangs her man out again, just like, just laying some good pipe. And then they're like laying down, like having a little chit chat. And then her shitty ex-husband walks into the room <gasps> and she's like, excuse me? And he's like, oh, um, we're still married. That's my wife. What are you doing in bed with my wife? And she's like, uh, excuse me, you left me. And then you sent me divorce papers and I sent them back to you. So like we're divorced. And he's like, oh, I never filed those papers. So oh you're, my God. you are committing bigamy. Oh, rage. So anyways, there's all of this sort of subplot with like the community. There's a guy who works at the paper who writes like this scathing, like think of it like Perez Hilton style article about like this harlot who's married to this prisoner who's awful. Uh, so then the town turns against her and everyone's sort of like, ah, then someone sends, I'm going to say faxed over. Cause I don't know what the equivalent of that would be. Back <laughs> in the day. Someone faxes over to the sheriff paperwork to say, um, by the way, can you send this along to Jordan Yancey? These are his acquittal papers. And he's like, what? So he shows up at his house and he's like, um, why didn't you tell us you were a U.S. Marshal? Why didn't you tell us that you were found innocent? Like, why are you letting people talk shit about you? And he was just like, well, what people think about me is none of my problem. I was just waiting for that paperwork to come in. But, you know, people are going to believe what they want to believe. So then he gets exonerated. The community's like, oh, whoops, sorry. The ex-husband was the dirtbag all along. Ovs. And then he was like, okay, well, you know, you're a U.S. Marshal. That means, and you have these acquittal papers, so you can move anytime now. You're not legally obligated to stay married to her. You can leave the state. You can own a firearm. You can do whatever you want. So, of course, there's some tension because Elizabeth thinks, oh, he's going to leave me now. Like, he was just with me because he had to be, and now he's going to leave me. And, of course, Jordan's like, no, I love Aww, you. You're yeah. wonderful. I'm going to stay with you forever. And then they, um, then William tries to come back one more time. Ugh. Because he just can't be stopped. And then, what does she do? She snaps back in the best way with, uh, do you really want a wife who is carrying someone else's baby? <gasps> Scandal! Scandal! And then Jordan's like, oh, is it true? Are we having a baby? And she's like, yes, we are. Aww. I cannot wait to have a baby with you. And then they bang again. Yes. The end. So, uh. super well written. Like, yeah. no point did it feel cheesy, contrived. Like, the writing was super solid. The characters were super well fleshed out. He, the sex was so hot. Like I said, super consensual. Also, a first. Last week you were saying you had someone squirt in your book and that was a first. Mine had explicit conversation of menstruation and, like, Aww. period sex, which I thought was interesting because I've never seen any of that ever. Yeah. Um, and there's even, like, a line where she, she's looked. Like, she's laying in bed, like, in pain, and he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, are you the kind of man where I can talk about my monthlies with? And he's like, absolutely. And she's like, well, that's what's happening. And he's like, do you want me to make you some tea with bourbon? Oh. My dad used to always do that for my mom. You're just like, Jesus Christ, Jordan Yancey. So fun and amazing. Jordan yes. Yancey for president. <laughs> Jordan Yancey for president. A hundo pacento. So, yeah, he ends... Having a job as a U.S. Marshal, she's pregnant, they're happy, they're still banging it out on the reg, which I love. So, Prisoner of Love by Beverly Jenkins, I cannot recommend it enough. If you 
are new to the world of romance. It's short, so it's only like 100 pages, so you can really kind of dip your toe in. Um, super hot and all of these other things, but also super well written. So in terms of genital descriptions, I will say some new ones for me, Renee. Some oh, new ones. Yeah. I'm ready. Can you hear it? <laughs> so there was Man Root. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hard, thick, delightful prize. I was like, okay. Okay, yeah. And then, okay. tight, sweet path to paradise, which <laughs> I only read in a tone of like an 80s hair band, like tight, sweet path to paradise. <laughs> That's exactly how I heard it in my head. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle, tight, sweet path to paradise. <laughs> But again, like it worked in the context of the book. Like I think if I wasn't looking for those things for the podcast, it would I just would have read it and been like, ooh, creative wordplay. But that is the thing that like the romance y'all does not get enough respect for is like clever creative wordplay. So 100 percent Oh, so Prisoner of Love by Beverly Jenkins. I'm giving it on the spice factor five out of five spicy chilies with cornbread because like so hot. I can't even tell you. Like it was like, whew. Yeah, get the vapors. Beverly Jenkins, you've just made a fan for life. I respect a legend. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so that was my ask- journey this week. Yes, questions? Were the, main, were the main characters both black characters? Yes, so there was, um, in terms of like, yes. So he was definitely like a black, a dark-skinned black man. And she was kind of described as like, maybe like a, like brown skin black woman so like a bit more of a lighter skin black woman okay the community was large there was segregation in the community not but it was under jim crow but there were definitely black folks in the community and white people um but the racism of like black people living in the south with other white people didn't come up in that sense it was more just the the marginalization was because he was a criminal right i like that yeah i like that he didn't rely on like you know the racism piece to like make the story a story i like that yeah totally and that like there was you know a recognition that yeah when you only tell stories of black people living in situations of suffering that that's like its own form of racism right like there are there were Mm -hmm. communities where people were living their lives and doing stuff but very explicit mention of like you know jim crow was mentioned on more than one occasion in certain senses so there definitely was the you know proper historical context in that sense as well but yeah it definitely was just like a story about class difference and misogyny frankly like how you know her husband left her and that made her the problem and that she dared to say no to men was like a problem and stuff yeah it's good i like that well, yeah nice. yeah it was great it was awesome and i had a happily ever ending which i always love mm-hmm. um so what did you get up to? Because last week your book was so bad and I felt so sorry for you because mine was so good. So where are you at this week? <laughs> I read a lovely, lovely story. Um, Yay! Totally romance, but no sex. Oh. No sex in it, but it was, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It was still lovely. Um, So my book was from an author called Catalina Dubois. Ooh. And Catalina Dubois writes series like she writes series and she um she's a black woman who's married to a white man and so that's that's shown in her stories where the character the the female character is black and and the male character is white um and it was hard to find anything about her 
talking about her characters, but I did find one thing in an interview. So Catalina writes historical fiction primarily. Um, and here's what she had to say about why that, why she's drawn to that genre. So she said that modern love stories tend to ruin the leading man. He's always some pig who will sleep with anything that walks until quote, she enters his life and magically changes him. Plots like this have been done to death. I'm beyond sick of them. I have little free time when I'm not writing books and doing research. I'm raising a daughter with autism on the rare occasion that I'm blessed to have three days to devote to reading. I want a hero who's beyond reproach, a man I can fall in love with. He must have chivalry, selflessness, and respect for all women, not just the one he's interested in. I desire to read about the knight, not the frat boy. Uh, this is why most of my tales are historical. If your readers can't fall in love with your hero and they don't feel swept off their feet, have you truly written a romance? And I gotta say, bang on. Bang yes. on. Yes, yeah. I love that. So her story, her stories are really unique because they're all part of this series that take place over time. And they're based on two star-crossed lovers. So basically the idea is that um, a long time ago, the universe was ruled by gods. And these gods governed over man in the universe until the birth of Eris. And Eris is the goddess of discord. It's the daughter of Zeus, goddess of discord. And Eris, because she just always wants to cause drama, was causing wars between the gods and war with people and all of this stuff. And so Zeus was like, I know that the only thing that's going to make you calm the fuck down is a great love. So I need you to get married and simmer down. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'll get married, but I want to marry my cousin's betrothed, who was a human man named um, Matthias. And... Matthias was um, engaged to a goddess named Sarah. And Sarah is like, I find out later she's kind of like a water goddess. Um, and so Sarah said, you know, Sarah and Matthias were like, okay, well, the only way to save the human race is if Matthias marries Eris. So they sacrifice their chance to be together to preserve humankind. And Sarah gave him up you know, on the condition that Eris promised to be kind to him. And she's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. But then shortly after their marriage, she became really unkind and cruel to Matthias. And so Matthias quickly, you know, started to care about Sarah again and his thoughts wandered to her. And I believe they had an affair. <clears throat> and so for that affair, Eris cursed Matthias and Sarah to endure an infinity of mortal lifetimes and to be star-crossed lovers in every single one of them, which is what the stories are. So every single story are these two reincarnated characters of mortal, mortal um, king and a, and a goddess who's now mortal. And they meet as star-crossed lovers in every single book. And it's super cool. Super, super cool. That's so cool. It's really neat. It's a premise because it's part of, it's called the Infinity Series. And so she has all of these books from different eras. The one that I read was called Infinity Quest for the Holy Grail. And it's exactly the story of the Holy Grail. But like the twist is that the, you know, the princess in it is a black woman and the prince is a white man. And it was so fun <laughs> it's a fun book <laughs> so um it was only 140 pages and there are like 40 characters in it so it was a lot to kind of do on my murder map to keep track of everybody but it comes together nicely in the end so ultimately um it begins in the britain uh britain isle in 1550 ad um 
the prologue is that there's been a plague outbreak in uh, Matthew Galahad's um, kingdom. So he's the son of a duke and a duchess. And part of the way to like bring fame and um, money to your community, if you're ruling over it, was to go to tournaments and you know participate as a knight. So jousting and all of that stuff. And so he's really hesitant to go because like my people are suffering and I want to help. And everybody's saying, you know, but the best way you can help your community right now is if you go in and win a trophy for us and, and get some recognition and money for us. And so he's like, fine. He's like, I'll go. Um, but um, can you just let me know that my parents are okay first? So his parents like are waving at him from their castle window and they're like, we'll be there soon. But it turns out his parents have the plague and they didn't want him to know. So he never sees his parents again. Um, but meanwhile, we go over to this um, tournament and he he's a pretty formidable um, player. Um, he he was good at the jousting, he's good at everything. His uncle, Prince Edgar, um, who's only a couple like years older than him, so they're kind of rivals in the same way. Um, Matthew really just wants to have a good connection to his uncle, but his uncle's like beautiful and, and just shitty overall. Um, and so here we meet um, the uh, King of Camelot, who is like, you know, Arthur's dad. Right. So like you have Arthur of Camelot. So that character comes in. And then there's Morgan of Camelot. Morgan, if you've read like Mists of Avalon, Morgan Le Fay, she's like a witch, the whole thing. So she's there. And Matthew's assistant or his friend slash servant, whose name is Percival, he had actually had this history with Morgan Le Fay because he found her like in the forest. He just found her in the forest, you know, with amnesia and they lived together. He like took care of her and nursed her. But then he found out that she was actually a princess. And so she, he returned her to her kingdom and which we find out later was not the right thing to do because, um, the King of Camelot had been sending her to this Abbey for exorcisms because he hated that she had magic. And so she was like malnourished and mistreated. And so when Percival found her in the forest, she had been like completely malnourished and was dying, but she had escaped the Abbey. So she lied um, about having amnesia, but they fell in love. And when Percival learned that um, she was a princess, he realized he couldn't be with her. Right. Um, and so we learn that, um, Matthew learns that his parents have died and he's really upset about it. And so his uncle, who is um, King Philip, King Philip Galahad, he basically adopts Matthew because Matthew's meant to be his heir when he dies. Um, King Philip is married to Queen Cornelia. And what's unique about their relationship is Cornelia's barren. So because King Philip loved her so much, it didn't matter to him that she was barren. Um, he married her anyway, and she's just like this lovely kind of witchy woman, and um, she's his advisor, which Edgar is super pissed about because Edgar not only is being denied of being the heir of um, the throne, he's also now being told you can't um, be you can't be the my advisor either. Um, so as the story goes on, <clears throat> um, Queen. Corn Cornelia disappears and King Philip is just like devastated. And so Edgar moves in as his advisor and um, they decide that um, 
Matthew, who's been begging them to let him get married because he's so lonely. He has no family. All that matters to him is that he, you know, he has a family and he's loved because his parents were so lovely. He has no brothers or sisters and he just wants to start a family. So, um, so King Philip's like, okay, but I get to pick who you're going to marry and it's going to be on my terms. So they're like, okay. And because it's like 550 AD, of course, that has to be like a strategic political marriage. So he has him betrothed to a girl named Sarah, who's eight years old. And Sarah is from a Moorish territory called the Elmet territory. So they're like bog people, basically. <laughs> they're, from like, they're, they're bog people, but they like are really colorful, dark skinned people who, you know, live off the land and have different customs and practices and are just like a lovely people. So they decide that they're going to um, do this um, arrangement and, he, at, you know, they're going to be married at, when she's eight. <clears throat> and he's like 15, I think. Um, and then King Philip is like, okay, well, she's going to go live in an abbey and um, they're going to, she has to become a Christian if she's going to like help, you know, rule the kingdom with my nephew. Um, and so the father of this little girl's like, okay, cool. So they send her to a convent for 10 years. And, during this time, Sarah becomes a really scared, quiet, docile little creature. She just, you know, is terrified of water because a prophet had told her parents that she was going to meet her end in the water. And she's just like scared of the dark. She's scared of heights. She's a very like scared woman. So one day she's out collecting eggs and this strange man shows up and She's just like, oh, this is weird that there's a man here at the Abbey. And she's like, I wonder if he's like my husband. Because at this point, she's like 18 years old. He would be, I guess, like 25. And it's about time that he shows up, right? So she's like, I wonder if this is him. But she, she's like, oh, I can't. This doesn't look like the guy I met when I was eight. So I don't think it's him. And then Matthew doesn't recognize her either because um, she, her hair is straight. And she's not wearing like vivid colors. She's wearing completely drab you know there's nothing there's no there's no beads or shells in her hair which he loved about her and her people um she just looks really like like she grew up in a convent you know i do <laughs> you know so it turns out that is her husband and he's come to take her home and she's pretty excited but she's really nervous now matthew is a knight so he lives by a code of chivalry and all of his friends also live by this code of chivalry, but it, it goes a little further for Matthew. Matthew, um, he refuses to um, abuse his rights as a man. Um, and he refuses to tell anybody what to do, including his wife. So the way he treats everybody is in an equitable way. And so Sarah learns that like she has nothing to fear from him because he's like, I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm not going to do any of that. Like we're a team what's mine is yours. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this together. And she's like, Oh, that's really weird. Cause she was told like, you're going to have marital duties. You're going to have this, you're going to have this. And that's what she grew up expecting. Um, and so they are heading home and they have to make camp for the night. And during that time, um, Sarah sits down with Percival and finds out that she was actually the one who helped Morgan escape. And she tells Percival, well, Morgan wanted me to tell you, um, 
that, you know, she loves you and, you know, she was upset when you let her go and you returned her to the castle. But now she's betrothed to Prince Edgar, who is Matthew's uncle. And so she says, you know, Percival's like, oh, my God, like, what do I do? And so Sarah's like, fucking fight like hell for her. You know, she she loves you and you, you got to make this happen. And so even though, like, their stations are very different, he's like, OK, I'm going to make it happen. So. Matthew is sitting down with Sarah that night and he's like, you know, you have to stop calling me like your highness or Duke or whatever. Um, he's like, but you can call me Matthew or Liam. And she's like, why Liam? And he's like, well, my mother was like you. She was ripped away from her culture and her family and was stripped of all of that identity. So it's an act of rebel rebellion. She, she gave me a Gaelic middle name. And then she's like, you know, well, why didn't you come for me when you were 12 when I was 12 or 13 because like that's the custom and he says well he's like I know that was the custom he's like but you were still a child in my eyes he's like and I wasn't comfortable taking you away to be my wife at, as a child and then she's like oh wow okay and then he's like and I can tell that like you're you're curious if I've been unfaithful to you he's like and the answer is no I haven't been I know a lot of people were saying like it was my duty as a man to like get as much pussy as possible but he's like that's not who I am and um, I wanted to stay faithful to you until we could be together and she's like wow okay this guy's really like not what I expected and at some point she's he's like you know what happened to your hair like what that's not how I remember your hair and she's like, oh, well, you know, the nuns straightened it, um, you know, because it was more appropriate. And he's like, oh, more European, you mean? And she's like, she's like, yeah, more European. And he's like, well, will it come back to the way it was? And she's like, yeah, it comes back with water. So she puts some water in her hair and gets all curly and like a big, beautiful afro and stuff. And he's like, oh, my God. He's like, I love it. And um, he touch, touches her hair, which I'm like, don't do that. But um, <laughs> but then he's just like, oh, my God, I love your hair. Like, it's beautiful. And then she, immediately she gets really embarrassed. And she's like, oh, my God, I'll straighten it right away when, when we get back to the castle. And he's like, he's like, no, like, well, he's like, if that's what you want to do, you can go ahead and do that. But she's like, well, I kind of prefer my hair in braids. Is it OK if I do that? And he's like, oh, my God, please. And he's like, and please, like, put beads in it, whatever you want. Like, just do it. And she's like, oh, my God. OK. Then he tells her we're not going to consummate our marriage on this trip. And she's like, what? She's like, I don't understand. And it's because um, it's because, he again, he doesn't want to, like, force herself on her. So this establishes that, like, he's a good dude and she can trust him. And so she starts to, like, really, like, fall for this guy. Then they get attacked by rogues. And you're like, oh, my God. Um, and so Matthew and his crew have to, like, dispose of these rogues. And um, she's really concerned because she's like, oh, my God, he's, he's actually a murderer. He has no problem killing all these people. So when he finds her after, she's, like, totally scared. And he's like, no, I actually didn't kill anybody. He's like, we don't kill people unless we, like absolutely have no other choice he's like but i will tell you he's like it's my job to protect you he's like and i will not hesitate to kill somebody if if they're going to kill you first and she's like okay but then we find out she's also a healer so she has like it's got like big like um fuck what's that show like uh that's my uh, angel no it's the <laughs> one with like that highlander and like the time travel the who like doctor who no, 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 no. It's a romance book, and I can't remember. Oh, Outlander? Yeah, Outlander. I was saying yeah, Overlander. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's got big, like, Outlander vibes, and I say that because I've been watching it since last week, and it's spicy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, oh, no, I'm a healer, and so she goes, and she, like, takes care of the cuts and everything. 
And it turns out that um, the bandits that attacked them are from the village nearby, who's um, actually falls under the jurisdiction of Prince Edgar. It's part of his land. And it turns out he's been like taking everything from them. So they're all starving and everything. And the leader of the gang that they met is Lancelot, which you might remember from like every single medieval story ever. So right now we have Galahad and we have Lancelot. Even if you've just watched Monty Python's quest for the Holy Grail, (laughs) you know, all these names. (laughs) So, um, so they're heading back to the castle and, um, well, after this inter- interaction, Matthew's like pissed. He's like, I can't believe he's taking everything from you. I promise, like, I'm going to fix this. And then he and his and his wife are just like, let's give them back all their stuff. So they give them all their, like, all this extra stuff they have so that these people don't starve. So they go home and um, they're staying at Edgar's castle because he, as a knight, has a duty to, like, put up other knights who are traveling and Edgar's like being really cool. He's been really nice. And so Matthew's like, wow, this is really nice that I have like this family member that, you know, I'm really connecting with. And he's being super nice to the other knights. He's being super nice to Sarah. Um, but then we learn that Queen Cornelia has been lost at sea. And so King Philip is like totally um, like heartbroken. And he's become like really dark um, in, you know, how he's running his kingdom. And because Edgar is his advisor, he's kind of like, spilling poison into his ear and everything um, about like how to run the castle. But then we find out that Edgar um, likes to craft um, dollhouses, which is really weird. And so they're having a celebration. Yeah, it's really weird. So we're, we're having, they're hosting a celebration for the marriage of um, Sarah and Matthew finally being together. And who shows up? But Arthur Pendragon, and who's like the king, the prince of Camelot, and he's there with his best friend Merlin, and <laughs> they're kind of like hanging out around the castle because they're there to celebrate, and the the king of Camelot didn't want to go, um, but Merlin senses that there's like dark magic in the house, and he's like, that's really weird. So he kind of tries to like go and and suss it out, and he finds the dollhouse room. Well, Julie, it turns out. Uh, Queen Cornelia was never lost at sea. She was transformed into a teeny tiny little person who lives in a dollhouse, but only people who can sense magic could know that she was there. So she's, so Edgar has turned her into this little doll and she's living in this house, but Merlin doesn't have a chance to like deal with it. Cause he, he gets called away. So um, later they are, um, they're like having the celebration and, Prince Philip um, is pissed because Sarah, who's the wife of, of Matthew, has shown up with like beautiful, like bright, colorful clothing. She's totally like, re- like taken back her culture. She's there with like beads and shells and just beautifully adorned at this thing, just having the time of her life. And um, Philip is like, this is unacceptable. This is this is she looks like a heathen. Like, what are you doing? And Sarah hears. And then Matthew's like fuck you. Like, this was not okay. You can't, you can't talk to her about her that way. He's like, Oh, by the way, Edgar is fucking bleeding his countrymen dry. Like you need to deal with that. And he's like, what are you talking about? And so he runs after Sarah to be like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry that happened. That was not okay. I told him off. Um, and they finally have their first kiss and it's super passionate and lovely. And he tells her that like, she, he's not going to sleep with her unless she wants to, or is at least overwhelmed by curiosity, which I thought was a neat, a neat thing to say. It's Mm -hmm. like, we're going to go at your speed, you know, and if you want to have sex, we can do that. If you just want to explore because you're curious, I'll let you do that too. 
And I thought that was so lovely. But he's like, but never because you feel obligated. We're never going to fuck because you feel obligated or there's any pressure to consummate. Don't worry about it. But because it is technically like their wedding night, what he does is he like spills a bit of like blood on the sheets so that he's like, now there's not going to be any pressure for us to consummate. And she's like, oh, my God, he's so nice. Um, And so the next day um, we find out that. It was Percival's birthday and his sister, who's also like a servant at Edgar's castle, had made him like a basket of fruit. It was like super yummy. But he accidentally eats Edgar's fruit and Edgar catches him and he's really pissed. But Edgar is betrothed to to Princess Morgan of Camelot, who Percival's in love with. And so he like talks back to Edgar, even though he's like below his station. Edgar's pissed. So he's about to hit him with some enchanted tonic which we find out is what turns them into itty bitty little people. But then King Philip fucking pops out of nowhere and he's like, what do I hear that you're like attack? You're ruining your kingdoms and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And um, smashes the tonic. So then Percival gets away. And then, so King Philip strips Edgar of all of his land and titles and horses and all of that. And this is where like things start going downhill and Edgar becomes like this huge, um, this huge, like, villain in the story um because he chases after matthew and he's like this is awful you did this you want to see me ruin and he's like no he's like i just i couldn't let it go by that like you're ruining these people's lives and you're taking from them and it's awful and he's like he's like but i will work with you because he was given all of edgar's lands and titles and stuff he's like but he's like i'll work with you to balance your books um and all of this stuff so you can have your land and stuff back and he's like fine so um because he like he had to like strip all his people of their money and their stuff because he has like a gambling problem and so he's working with matthew and like things are going great and um he's like ready to like hand over all the like land and stuff back to edgar and meanwhile sarah gets this message and they're like hey there's a problem like you need to come quickly and she runs into this like um underground little tunnel and lancelot's shown up at the at the um kingdom and is like quick come with me and it turns out there's a plague dungeon and the plague dungeon is being it's it's edgar's plague dungeon and it turns out that he released the plague on matthew's kingdom so that his parents would get it and die and he was hoping that matthew would get it and die too so he runs like so she runs to get like help and then she goes and she keeps the like um papers from being signed over and she's like by the way he has a fucking plague dungeon and edgar's like so what if i do you can't prove shit and so they like exile him and kick him out and then finally uh it's like everything's happy everything's great and then finally sarah and matthew are about to fuck and it's the only really like sensual moment where um matthew's like reveals that like he's in love with her and she was so worried that like she would say that he loved her. Um, she would tell him that he she loved him and that he wouldn't he would like rebuke it. But so he like takes the lead and he's like, Look, I love you. And he's like, I tried to find a way to tell you, but I just wrote like I love you over and over. And he's like, But I love you and I, I'm so happy you're my wife and this and that. So finally she's like, I love you too. And then they're about to get busy. And as they're standing there naked, loving each other's bodies, there's a big bang at the door and it's Percival. And he's like, Hey, we're being attacked and we need to flee so it turns out that it's camelot soldiers attacking their kingdom because apparently um, members from sarah's tribe 
raided a village that belongs to uh, Camelot, which isn't true because her people are a peaceful people. So she has to flee and she gets away. Lancelot kind of guides her away. But then um, as that happens, Edgar catches her and locks her in a cage. And Matthew's like, let her go. But then before that can happen, the horse is freaking out and the horse runs away from this cage that's attached to this cart and then her cage goes into the water and so she's freaking out because she knows she's going to die by water right so she thinks that's it so she's about to drown she's freaking out um but matthew saves her and then he's like you got to get out of here and she's like but what about you he's like don't worry about it so lancelot gets her away she goes and she hides in um a pub and then um Edgar shows up with Matthew and he's like, come out princess or I'm going to kill him. And she finally realizes that like, she has to be the one to kill Edgar. Like nobody else can do it. So they do like a princess bride kind of thing where she's like, Oh, I have this poison and you know, whoever drinks it is going to die. And then we'll get let go. And I was like, Oh, never go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And anyway, uh, that's a little princess bride quote for you. <laughs> So anyway, so she um, she poisons him. He dies because they, you know, she she knew he would like absolutely take a wager. Um, but it turns out she poisoned all of it. So she is going to die as well. And um, Matthew has a friend whose wife is a witch. And so they put a freezing spell on Sarah and, so that they can go and get the Holy Grail to save Sarah. So then there comes this whole thing. <laughs> so matthew galahad and lancelot and his his other friend and then percival and then arthur and then merlin all go on this quest to get the holy grail and they go on to Redbeard's ship to get them to the um like hades river in like death valley or something but they have only a year to get the grail because the freezing spell will only last a year so they have to go through all these things and meanwhile like each of the characters are like sharing their story about like who they are and why they're there and um redbeard like hates rich people so like he's like i'm gonna kill all these men like at the end of their journey um but eventually learns to respect them so they have to go through five rivers there's like the river sticks um there's the river coctus and Archeron and all of these different like Greek sounding rivers. Um, and every single river, there's like a different thing. So there's like um one's like a giant scorpion, and one's a cyclops, and one's Medusa, and one's like a three-headed dog, like Cerberus, like all of that. And so each character in the party is able to kind of defeat one thing. Um, and then we learn that like Arthur had been married to Guinevere and then Guinevere um, was cursed to die, but it turns out she was actually Medusa. And so he saves Medusa and she turns back into Guinevere and it's beautiful. And then they have the only way they can get through the last order of the Holy Grail is they need a woman who has magic. But it turns out Redbeer is actually like a nymph who was like disguised as a man because everybody treated her badly because she was a woman and she was magical. Turns out she's also like the sister of um, the goddess Sarah anyway it's a whole thing so they they get they get the fucking um it turns out like Redbeard, who's this water nymph is also the lady of the lake so she goes and she retrieves the excalibur sword and they get the holy grail they get back they give it to sarah she's supposed to wake up in 10 minutes and she doesn't <gasps> yeah 
So fast forward to Percival and uh, Morgan's wedding. They finally got to get married. Percival got elevated to knight status. He was able to marry Morgan. It's so beautiful. Um, Everybody's there. And um, Matthew's just like so sad because his wife's not there. And he's like, this is horrible. Really sad. He's trying to like enjoy the day, but he can't. Um, Redbeard, who's a water nymph, hooks up with Merlin. And then um, like everybody's happy except for Matthew. And then somebody comes and is like, quick, you have to come with me. And he rushes off and it's because it actually took 20 minutes for Sarah to wake up and she's missing the party because she was having a baby. Ooh, I know. And all of this was crammed into 140 pages. <laughs> so it was, there was just a lot going on. Um, I think you need to kind of know kind of like Camelot, the Camelot story to get all these characters. But I loved that like this character, the Matthew character was totally like all about this woman's culture he was all about you know letting her do her thing he was not about stepping on toes all he wanted was a family um and he was willing to do anything to save this woman that he loved and it was just like a lovely story and i liked that it was like these star-crossed lovers so with all of her other books you can expect that it's going to be the same characters in different situations throughout time and i'm really excited about it book was not spicy there was no spice in it it was just like you know a nice romance story but she has other books that i have learned are very spicy and because i'm i really enjoy the story i'm gonna read another one in the series for next week that has sex in it um and a serial killer so i'm excited oh my god i was like renee those are your two favorite things (laughs) i know i know erotica and serial killers yeah so excited so um i didn't feel and like i'm not i'm not a person of color so i can't really say this like as my personal experience, but I didn't feel like it was really like a white savior situation. Um, I really felt it was just like, here's this unapologetically supportive character who's letting this woman have like full breath to thrive. However, she sees fit and is not there to like force himself on her. And I really loved that. Um, I was excited when they were standing there naked. Cause I was like, Oh, finally they going to fuck. And it was, it was kind of like, I was getting excited with it, but I wasn't surprised that they didn't. So zero out of five um, spicy goat heads of the medieval <laughs> century. Uh, <laughs> um, great villain. Everybody else was great. Lots of surprises. I was not. And they and the writing was so strong. It was so good. It was so strong. I would have loved it if this book was longer because I wanted to know more about each and every character because they all had backstories and she did a great job um, kind of sprinkling in the backstories of everybody. Like it didn't feel too contrived or too rushed or anything. Um, But I mean, like give me 340 pages because I feel like she could have done so much more Um, and I would have read every second of it. Like I devoured this book. It was great. So cannot recommend Catalina Dubois enough. So excited to read another one of her books. Um, 10 out of 10 as a writer. I love that. And that's oh, also, yeah. if you want to say, all of her books are available for free on her website. So if you have an e-reader, um, you can get any format for any e-reader on her website for free. You can um, download a PDF. You can buy her books, but she makes all of her content available for free on her website. And that's how I got my book. Oh, my God. I, don't, yeah, I think that's the first... I think that's the first we've heard of someone who gives a hundred percent of their work away. So wow. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So loved it. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Please continue. 
No, no, I just was saying that I, I love that I feel like that's one of the subtle ways that we're pushing back on the, you know, the culture around romance that we, I mean, there's definitely been cases where it was cliched, terrible garbage writing, and we've definitely called it out, but <laughs> there's definitely been, yeah, like there's, you know, all of the books I've read this month, frankly, were all super strong in terms of their writing, and the same can't be said for a lot of mainstream stuff, frankly, so I love, yeah, I love that, I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. And also, I'm just happy for you because last week your book was so bad and so problematic that I'm glad you did not have to wade through that nonsense this week and just got to like sit back and enjoy a story. Love it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I did start the next book for next week already, and it's already awesome. So, oh, loves yeah, it. definitely. Yeah, recommend her. She's like her books are great, and she just keeps churning out the hits. Like she does not stop. She started writing in 2017, I think, and her last book was released in October 2020. So she's still going strong. Oh, love that. Yeah, yeah especially because she does it's not like for... managing a child with like special needs. Like, whoo, what? The... She's a powerhouse. Yeah, respect, deep mm-hmm. respect. <laughs> yeah. Damn. All right. Well, I think we should end with some, uh, just giving people a little sampling of each of our books. You into that? I'm here for it. All right. So sure. Prisoner of Love. Now, if you recall Prisoner of Love, they started off, he was just a prisoner and she was not looking for love. (laughs) And she (laughs) was just looking for someone to help her out on the farm. And so the little snippet of a conversation I'm going to share with you is the moment where she is talking to Jordan in a very sort of formal way. They're basically just trying to get to know each other. But again, thinking this is just a business arrangement. You marry me, it gets you out of prison. I can live here safely. La-di-da. That made her smile and his insides warmed as if touched by sunlight. I like making you do that. What? Smile. Her head dipped and a smile peeked out. Doesn't seem like you've had much of that lately, he told her. Ever, she answered softly from beneath the wide brim of her hat. Then she turned away and stared out at the distance as if visiting her memories. He was 13 years my senior, joyless, pious, and miserly. Why'd you marry him? Because he was the only man who offered for me, she said, added quietly. As you probably know, women my age aren't much sought after, and the older we get, the less chance we have. When he asked me to be his wife, I agreed. How long had you known him? A year before we married. He was my pastor's brother. I see. But I'm still astounded by the notion of him tossing me over to marry a young woman. A woman young enough to be his daughter. Pious? Godly? William? His sanctimonious family undoubtedly dropped dead en masse. Yet, here you are, still standing. As best I know how... Jordan wanted to slide his finger down her cheek to see if her skin was as soft to his touch as it appeared. We're going to do fine, he told her with quiet conviction. Did you really mean what you said about wanting to be a good husband to me? I did. And he wondered what it would be like to kiss her and feel her soft weight beneath him as he filled her and stroked her. Then I shall attempt to be a good wife to you, she pledged, her voice hushed. Jordan studied her in silence. And what does that mean? Elizabeth sat slowly back against the seat. What she needed to say wasn't something she felt comfortable discussing at all, but if she truly intended to be a good wife, the subject needed to be broached, even if she couldn't make herself look at him. Marital relations. Ah, was all he said. She plunged on. 
I know men have certain needs and it's a wife's duty to be accommodating. Duty? He asked. The soft humor in his voice intrigued her enough to face him. Yes, duty. Is that what you were raised to believe? Why, yes. Not all women feel it is a duty. Some actually enjoy themselves. Maybe saloon women and actresses, but not good women. <laughs> good women, too. Elizabeth shook her head. I didn't mean to turn this into a debate. I just wanted you to know that, that I intend to do your duty. Elizabeth didn't know how to react to the teasing light in his eyes. Yes, and since I know you've been in prison, and uh, it's probably been... She couldn't continue. Every inch of her body was embarrassed. He finished the sentence for her. A long time? She nodded hastily. Yes, it has been, but I couldn't wish for a more beautiful woman to break my fast with. His voice was as intense as his eyes, and Elizabeth was suddenly shaking like a leaf in the wind. Will you do your duty for me right now, Elizabeth? Now? She croaked. Now, darling, nothing I want more than to take you in the house and please you a hundred times, catch our breath, and start all over again. Oh, and then they Woo! do, and then they do. Yeah. Wow. And every time they fuck, he like pulls her out of her shell more and more until at the end, she's full on just blowing him in the middle of the street on their carriage. Ew. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I yeah. I love a little sexual transformation in like the span of a couple weeks. She's just like, <laughs> this is who I've always been. Let's a free flag fly. Um, so that's Preserve Love by Beverly Jenkins. Uh, you gonna finish us off with a little snippet of what you read? Sure. Okay, this is just where um he, they're just sitting at camp and they're kind of getting to know each other, so. She would have liked you, Matthew sweetly assured, but I can tell that wasn't your only question. Don't be afraid to be forward with me. I want no secrets between us. I, it's just... Sarah took a deep breath and prepared to ask the question that had been burning at the back of her mind for years. Why did you wait so long to come for me? Most brides are called upon by the age of 12 or 13. Though socially acceptable, 12 or 13 is still a child to me, he explained. And while we are on the subject of waiting, I'll answer a question I can tell you want to know but are too timid to ask. So you're a mind reader? She spoke with a playfulness in her voice. Let's see if I am, he grinned impishly. You yearn to know if I waited all this time to retrieve you because I was whoring around with other women. Sarah gasped. I wouldn't have said it exactly like that. I mean, it's no secret that my father has always been unfaithful to my mother. I figured that's just how men are, and ten years is a long time to wait, she finished sheepishly. I wasn't unfaithful. My uncle told me that as the man in this relationship, it was my responsibility to get as much, he wasn't sure how to put it without being brash, experience as I could so that I would be able to please you and keep you happy. What he said made sense, but to use a woman in such a manner and just cast them aside seemed wrong. I, I'm sorry I failed you. You didn't, she promised wholeheartedly. We'll just have to figure things out together. May I ask you a question? Inquire all you like, my, uh, Matthew, she corrected herself. My Matthew. I rather like the sound of that. They both laughed a little, uh, and he reached over to touch her, touch a lock of her hair. What happened to your curls? I barely recognized you. She sighed as she recalled how much of herself was lost. There's a comb made of metal that the nuns heated and used to straighten my hair. They felt it made me look more, more appropriate. More appropriate or just more European? I didn't want to say it that way. Sarah shook her head, a little impressed by his bluntness. Have they changed your hair forever? No, she smiled at his naivety. His innocence is just plain adorable. It changes back with water. 
She leaned forward, cupping water from the river into her hands and pouring it over her tresses. Within minutes, beautiful curls began to spring up all over her head. It's like magic, Matthew said in awe as he caressed her mop of spongy, untamed curls. Suddenly feeling awkward and self-conscious, Sarah assured him, I'll have my hair straightened as soon as we arrive. I was merely showing you the mess it becomes in its natural state in, ca in case you catch me fresh from a bath. I like it this way, he looked down, immediately regretting his flirtatious nature. Wife or not, she was still a stranger, and he could only hope he hadn't been too forward. I mean, do whatever you like is all. Thank you, she called it happily. If it isn't too much trouble, may I wear braids, as it's common of the women in my culture, just from time to time and never to a formal event? Absolutely, and I hope you wear beads, too. She'd been rendered speechless at his kindness and acceptance of her. You do realize these things make me look different. I like different, Matthew assured her with a warm smile, no longer caring if he seemed flirty because she didn't seem put off by it. He placed a gentle kiss upon her knuckles uh, of, the, of her soft hand, admiring the dramatic contrast of their skin tones. There is something exciting, exciting even enchanting about different. Uh, Sarah pulled her hand from his to conceal her expression, but he could tell she was grinning beneath her, the dainty fingers that carried, uh, covered her mouth. Soon fear of losing her virginity doused the torches of her happiness. Matthew quickly assured the innocent beauty, I actually came over here to tell you we will not be consummating our marriage for a while. Pardon? She gasped with her hope extinguished, yet for a moment it had existed. Anyway, that's where it is. She's disappointed, but um, they obviously have sex at some point because she has a baby. Well, I mean, you don't know that shit ain't immaculate conception, but let's suspend our disbelief. And I mean, holy grail, so here we are. <laughs> here we are. What a lovely journey we went on this week. I know. It was just like so happy for me. I'm so happy. I'm so <laughs> I can glad. Put last week behind me. <laughs> I love it. And the fact that you have that same author for next week means you know it's going to slap next week. And I'm so excited for you. I'm reading a completely different author next week. Never heard anything about them before. So I'm pretty excited to dive in. And I'm so grateful for everyone joining us week after week as we yeah. crank out the hits. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, it's been my absolute pleasure, buddy. Do you want to as sing always. us out? Absolutely. Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Ravage Love.